You're listening to the NOAA Ocean Podcast. I'm Megan Forbes, and in this episode, we'll be talking about harmful algal blooms. We've been hearing this term, harmful algal blooms, in the news lately, with the events that have been occurring in Florida along the Gulf Coast for quite some time. And I wanted to understand more about the overall phenomenon of harmful algal blooms. I've invited Steve Kibler, an oceanographer with the National Centers for Coastal Ocean Science at NOAA, to talk more about them. Steve works at the NOAA Lab in Beaufort, North Carolina. Welcome, Steve. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Megan. Well, let's get right down to it. I have a lot of questions about harmful algal blooms, or HABs, as we sometimes refer to them. Red tide or harmful algal bloom, are they the same? Are they different? Can you tell me more? Well, the term red tide is an older term for harmful algal blooms. It was based on people's perception of the change in color of, of the water when certain types of blooms happen. It doesn't mean that the water always turns a reddish color. Sometimes there can be green or brown or even more exotic colors, but that's where red tide comes from. So the color is based on the color of the algae that's in there? Right. Okay. What is making the algae harmful? Well, algae can be harmful in a lot of different ways. Generally, when you say the word algae to somebody, they think of seaweed. They think mm -hmm. of large plant-like creatures that they see on the beach, for example. <laughs> what we're really talking about here are microscopic algae or microalgae. Generally, they're individual cells that occur at high density in the water, and they occur at dense enough that they can discolor the water. They can be harmful in a, a number of different ways. Talking about Florida red tides, for example, the cells produce a type of toxins. There's a whole category of them. They're called brevitoxins, mm -hmm. and the species involved is Karenia brevis. So brevitoxins are a potent neurotoxin, and they can cause mortality in a lot of different marine organisms. If you have a high enough dose, they could also be harmful to people as well. Neurotoxin means it affects your brain, correct? That's right. So that's why I'm hearing about people's eyes stinging and burning and not being able to breathe. It's not that they're seeing these flats of floating plants, it's that it's tiny, microscopic. Is it getting into the air? How does it, how does it get into our lungs, for example? So in a Karenia brevis bloom, for example, the cells are relatively fragile and they're easily broken by wave action, by wind. And so the toxins themselves, the brevitoxins, are aerosolized into tiny particles. And so if you happen to be on the beach during a bloom, the toxins end up in your eyes, you can breathe them in, um, and they typically cause asthma-like reactions in mm. people people that are sensitive. Mm -hmm. So with the waves, they're breaking up the algae itself and the toxins being released. That's right. So people aren't breathing in the algae, just the toxin that's within the algae. Right. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. How can somebody tell when a harmful algal bloom is occurring? Generally, it goes back to the term red tide again, is this visual perception. You can actually see a dense accumulation of material in the water. Maybe it discolors mm -hmm. the water. There sometimes can be funny smells. There can be um, other effects like dead marine life. Mm -hmm. There are floating dead fish, for example. It's generally fairly obvious when uh, a bloom is dense enough to be able to see. The real problem is blooms that you can't really tell. They're not dense enough to be uh, perceivable by human eye, but their effects can still be there. Mm -hmm. How does it affect the animals in the water? Is it that they're ingesting the water or even contact with their skin? Does that 
how it is affecting them? So the brevitoxins in a Karenia brevis bloom are absorbed directly through mucous membranes. So for fish, the toxins are absorbed through the gills. In other types of organisms, it comes through ingestion. Manatees, for example, which graze on seagrasses, the cells and the toxins can accumulate on the surface of the seagrass mm -hmm. so that when they're eating the grass, the ingestion route is through their stomach. And then in humans, if we were to ingest shellfish that are occurring where there is a bloom, you can get a dose of toxins directly through the shellfish themselves. So and you specifically call out shellfish. I remember seeing that going to the coast, red tide, please don't ingest shellfish. Why shellfish over finfish? Well, shellfish feed by filtering out small particles in the water, mostly harmless types of phytoplankton that naturally occur. But when there's a harmful algal bloom happening, they also ingest a lot of the harmful algae themselves. And so the cells and the toxins can accumulate in the tissues of shellfish more so than other types of organisms. Hmm. And so typically the state will post closures for shellfishing to prevent right. people from coming into contact with the toxins mm -hmm. during a bloom. But there's also a lot of economic damage that comes along with that. Mm -hmm. um, coastal communities that, that depend on tourism or that depend on seafood and the seafood industry can really be severely damaged by the occurrence of a harmful algal bloom. Um, and there is um, precedent for federal relief, uh, disaster mitigation money that, that at times is made available oh, yeah, because okay. of the effects of these blooms. So are harmful algal blooms only found in the Gulf Coast or can they be found in other coasts as well? There are harmful algal blooms throughout the U.S., um, throughout the world, really. They can occur in marine environments, but also freshwater environments. We're just talking about different species of algae that can be causing them. In Florida, Karenia brevis is a very common harmful algal bloom causer. Um, also occurs across the rest of the Gulf and even into Mexico as well. In different parts of the U.S., for example, in New England states, the harmful algal bloom that occurs there is called Alexandrium catenella. It's a similar type of organism, but different species and different toxins are involved. And there are also blooms on the west coast of the U.S., all the way up to Alaska, uh, different blooms in Hawaii, and the inland states in lakes and reservoirs. What is the actual cause of a harmful algal bloom? Have you been able to determine what specifically is causing this? So harmful algal blooms are a natural process. They've occurred long before humans lived in the mm. U.S., for example. Some of the earliest history of European colonists recorded harmful algal bloom problems when they arrived in Florida back into the 1500s. However, humans can cause environmental changes that promote the development of harmful algal blooms, maybe making them worse. Mm -hmm. For example, a common trigger for freshwater harmful algal blooms is nutrient runoff mm -hmm. in a small pond or reservoir within a housing development. Retention ponds are a common place to see freshwater harmful algal blooms happening. Sometimes they can be toxic, sometimes they just look gross. <laughs> they discolor <laughs> the water, smell funny, cause fish kills. Yeah. But uh, nutrient runoff is a very common one for freshwater environments, not so much on the coast where it's more of a natural progression of um, wind, weather, and ocean currents that often drive these. So when you say nutrient runoff, could you explain that a little bit more? 
Sure. When I say runoff, it means simply dissolve chemicals that are in the water on the land. Mm -hmm. So this can be because of rainfall. It can be because of farm irrigation, for example. It can be effluent from sewage treatment plants. Mm -hmm. So all this material ends up in the water system and then eventually makes its way to the ocean. And coastal environments oftentimes see high levels of nutrients just because of this runoff. This can contribute to harmful algal blooms. We're all connected, right? We always talk about how the right. water is rivers to the sea, and it truly happens. You've said that this is a, a natural occurrence. Is there any way to stop it from continuing or to prevent it from occurring? There's a little bit that can be done to prevent it. Situations where a nutrient runoff can be controlled can sometimes help prevent the development of harmful algal blooms or make them so that they're less severe. But in other instances, it's a, a natural offshoot of human population growth, so it's much more difficult to get a handle on. Mm. Um, it's hard to encourage millions of people to change the way that they live, for example. Right. And in a sense, there's there's probably no easy way to prevent harmful algal blooms from occurring in most instances. Like in the Gulf of Mexico, for instance, we are talking about a large regional area where the cells can be distributed over thousands of square miles. And there's just simply no way to be able to remove these from the environment without mm. harming the environment itself. Yeah. So removing it may actually do more harm than good. Right. And then you have the toxins to deal with as well, which mm -hmm. may already be dissolved in the water. Would you consider yourself a harmful algal bloom specialist? Uh, yeah, I guess that's probably one way of putting it. My own background is in oceanography, so mm -hmm. I'm interested in the physics and the chemistry of the oceans and how they drive or limit harmful algal blooms. But I've, I've really gotten involved because of the human side of it and some of NOAA's uh, role in mitigating these problems in the environment. How is NOAA involved in harmful <laughs> algal blooms? So we're involved in a number of different ways. We go right to the legislation. So there's uh, mm -hmm. currently HABARCA, which is the Harmful Algal Bloom Hypoxia Research and Control Act. It basically gives us a legal mandate that we're supposed to be studying harmful algal blooms, looking for ways to mitigate their effects, and looking for ways to provide early warning to people when a bloom is going to occur or where it's going to be severe. And the, there's a whole bunch of different mechanisms that we can use to do this, not just basic research in our own laboratories, but also through funding other organizations. So there are really three funding levels that we can uh, use to do this. One is called the ECOHAB program, which is the ecology and oceanography of harmful algal blooms. Mm -hmm. And that provides funding for universities and other individual groups to look at the ecology of the organisms, why they bloom where they occur and why they do what they want to do. There's also um, MERHAB, which stands for Monitoring and Event Response of Harmful Algal Blooms. That's a more practical approach, providing funding to look at methods for testing, technologies to detect the toxins in the cells themselves, and ways to characterize their abundance, for example. Mm -hmm. And then the third one is called PCMHAB, which is prevention, control, and mitigation of harmful algal blooms. And that is funding focused on um, what can be done to, to help uh, prevent people from coming into contact with harmful algal bloom effects, to better inform the public, and to provide more directed early warning products for harmful algal blooms. 
There's a good example, another product that NOAA produces, which is a forecast. Um, mm -hmm. So NOAA uses harmful algal bloom forecasting as a way to provide early warning to coastal citizens, to um, healthcare organizations, to the government, to regulating agencies, give them information to try to help mitigate uh, the effects of harmful algal blooms and to direct resources toward detecting them and preventing people from coming into contact with them. And this is a weekly update that is provided. The way that this forecast works is really we combine many of the resources that NOAA has at its disposal. So we have satellite information that can be brought to bear. We have researchers on the ground, people working to collaborate and coordinate some of the coastal communities to try to help them focus their efforts as well. And what is produced is an early warning, much like a weather forecast that shows people where the blooms are in a particular week, and also gives some uh, idea about where we believe that they're going to go in the future. It's as if you had ESP. You knew all the questions I was going to ask you as you were <laughs> explaining that. <laughs> that was a good overview. Where can we, as the public, access these types of forecasts? The, the best way to get to the link is just to search for NOAA Harmful Algal Bloom Forecast. Okay. And it'll take you right to our forecasting page where we list the resources that are available. And then we also have a series of other products that are still being produced. They're still in the experimental stage. We're working with private organizations and academic institutions to try to get these in place in coming years. I mean, ultimately, we work for the American public. Mm -hmm. um, so we're trying to provide resources and guidance on how um, we can best get information out where it's most needed. And so forecasting is, a, is one approach that is used. I only have one more question for you, Steve, and that is, what should people do if they are in an area where a HAB is occurring? Because there are so many different types of HABs, it really depends on the particular area. For the most part, you should pay attention to um, closures, for example, if the shellfishing is closed by the state government or by the county, there's a really good reason for that. Mm -hmm. um, so be, just be aware of these types of warnings that are posted oftentimes on the news and in the newspaper, they will have details about harmful algal blooms where they're occurring. Generally speaking, if there are, is a bloom going on and there is dead organisms in the water, people yeah. aren't typically going to go in the water anyway. Mm. You know, you don't drink the water or allow your pets to come into contact with it. Well, I think that that is all that we have time for today. Uh, thanks so much, Steve, for, for talking with me about this very interesting, very pertinent natural phenomenon that we are experiencing all over the world, harmful algal blooms. That's it for this episode of the NOAA Ocean Podcast. Thanks to Steve Kibler for educating us on harmful algal blooms, what they are, what they aren't, and how we can learn to minimize their effects on the natural world and our daily lives. To learn more about this topic, or any ocean-related topic, visit our website at oceanservice.noaa.gov. We appreciate you taking the time to learn with us, and hope you'll join us again soon. Until then, thanks for listening.